FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that goes snicked with a special flashback episode. And I'm your host, Jason, cheap-talking hussy, Venable. And I'm joined once again, finally making this triumphant return, Cameron. Actually, I did know I was shouting at my girlfriend, Sinclair. Hey. (laughs) I'm back. I'm back. (laughs) Back for the flash. That's right. Yeah, so we're finally going to talk about Wolverine Year 13 Part 2. There have been several kind of um, detours. I feel like it's been forever ago that we did Year 13 Part 1. No, it does have been a long time ago. But we're getting to that point. We're not quite to the point yet where we'll be in a couple of years publishing-wise for Wolverines and everything. But we are to the point where the X-Men are super popular. And so we've had a couple of miniseries and stuff we had to kind of dive off on. Because this 87, there was a lot that came out like all at once. And so I hope you've enjoyed kind of the uh, kind of the sideways episodes we've had. And now we're going to get back to our Marauder story in Uncanny X-Men. And we're going to talk about a handful of Uncanny X-Men. And then I have a uh, special surprise at the end of the episode. We'll I can't there. wait. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so we'll uh, we'll wrap up the thirteenth year of Wolverine's publishing. Lucky that's... thirteen. Yep, the old lucky thirteen. So although well, it wasn't lucky for the Morlocks, but no, no, it sure wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would definitely what? avoid the thirteenth floor on the elevator sewer, <laughs> the sewer elevator. All right, well, you ready to talk about some comics? Let's do it. All right, here we go. All right, so we're going to start off with an issue that doesn't actually have a legitimate Wolverine appearance, but it does have Sabretooth, so that still counts. And that, of course, is Uncanny X-Men number 219. This is Where Duty Lies, which is (coughs) usually in the diaper. Or at the bottom of the toilet little, bowl. little plot of humor. Yep. That's the kind of highbrow humor you can come to expect on the podcast that goes snicked. That's right. But anyway, this is written by Chris Claremont with pencils by guest penciler Brett Blevins. Dan, Dan, I'm sorry, <clears throat> it's been a while. Dan <laughs> Green is the inker. <clears throat> Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. And then we have a double color. We have Gwyneth Oliver, of course, and then also an assist by Petras Gautiz. And the cover is by Blevins, and it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. No, it's not good at all. Um, basically, it's Havoc being attacked by cartoonish evil X-Men, and it says, Welcome to the X-Men, Havoc. Hope you survive. Which is kind of a play... On the old uh, X-Men logo, you know, welcome to the X-Men, blah, blah, blah. Hope you survive the experience. And I'm kind of curious why they cut it short on this one. I thought they were, I assumed they were making a welcome to the jungle. Because <laughs> 87, <laughs> Welcome that... to the jungle! Was that out yet? I think that's when no. that came out, 88, 86, 87. Really? I'll have to look that up. 
Google that shit. GTS. GTS. Oh, is there an official acronym for that now? And my my friend Ahad puts a GTS on on the whiteboard in class. Whenever students ask questions, he puts it under the GTS. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, you are absolutely correct. Is that right? Oh, you, you got there to faster. To the than exact I... year, 1987. It just came out. Nice. Wow. So maybe this is a GNR reference. Yeah. If so, huh. then I wish Magneto had a top hat. It's July 1987. So when did this come out? What's the sure. month? This on? is cover dated July 87. So this, <laughs> that's really funny. That's so this serendipitous. If it's cover dated July, that means it probably it came, came out, out around Mayish, probably. Okay, so it would have been before, but the single. Yeah, I bet Claremont. Had, I bet he had a. Yeah, well, GNR they would are they would are put had been putting you know back in the old days when they did this. Right. They would have been putting singles out. That's true. For at least almost a year, and so. I bet the music video was on. Welcome to the close. Jungle had to be one of the first singles yeah. they put out. Because that was the uh, the Clockwork Orange video, right? Uh, yes. I want to say yes. I think so. You know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby. You're gonna die. <laughs> that was the uh, iTunes preview, not my own purchased album. I have it. For the record. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with having it. I just. Well, anyway, back to the cover at hand. Even though it's supposed to be kind of cheesy, evil looking X Men. Even knowing that's the intent, I still hate the cover. Yeah, well, it's not good, and it it makes sense once you get into the comic because it is a play on exactly what's happening in the comic, or at least in the first couple of pages. Right. But it doesn't look cool, and in the comic, in the side, it doesn't look good either, and so it's not great. It's kind of all badly done, and for some reason, Longshot has blades. It looks like he's got Wolverine claws. He does. That's what he does, though. His little throwing. Yeah, he does. But yes, yeah, it is a just, very Wolverine-looking thing. Yeah, he's doing a deliberate Wolverine look on him. I think yeah. it's that is what he does in the when he normally has him. But it stood out more to me in this. Uh... Anyway, I don't want to talk about Longshot. <laughs> yeah, let's spend as little time as possible <laughs> talking about Longshot and his. I don't know what water is. Isn't it lucky? <laughs> oh, that will get there in a minute. Yeah. All right. So here's what happens in this issue. Um, basically, Havoc has a nightmare about evil X-Men and has to release a bunch of uh, energy when he wakes up. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure is a euphemism. Yeah. For he had a sexy nightmare about the X-Men <laughs> and had That's to... True air quote, release a bunch of energy when he woke up. Um, anyway, he's confused. He just returned from the X-Men and they were fine-ish. But he keeps having the same nightmare and no one has answered the phone for days. <laughs> so he decides to head back, leaving Polaris. Or, do you say Polaris or Polaris? Um, I think Polaris. Okay. We're from because Texas. Polaris, then I think of the little thing in this p- swimming pool that cleans up leaves and stuff. <laughs> yes. Or the, uh, the uh, was it a Russian movie, right? That's a good movie. 
The one, oh, that, yeah, the yeah. one that George Clooney redid? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Which, that one was good, too, but the original. I don't, think I, saw, I don't think I saw the Clooney one, but anyway. Yeah. There's a couple of really... Because you know, obviously they they translate it and update some of the lines. There's a couple of really good like dialogue lines in there. Anyway, we're talking about X-Men. Um, <laughs> Is this an episode of the talking about movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have no uh, theme music, sorry. No. <laughs> so anyway, um, Havoc, after leaving his girlfriend in New Mexico, arrives to an empty mansion. Rummaging around, he sees the Hellfire Club um, in Magneto's calendar. <laughs> <laughs> because you know when you have a clandestine meeting with an evil organization you write it on your calendar <laughs> yeah yeah old school yeah so meanwhile back in new mexico the marauders attack polaris all right got it back in new york city havoc confronts magneto at the hellfire club to make matters worse Magneto refuses to tell Havoc where the X-Men are. Back in New Mexico, Sabretooth tracks Polaris. Back in New York, Havoc follows Magneto into the Morlock tunnels where he finds the X-Men. Storm wants to fake the X-Men's deaths to trick the Marauders. New Mexico time. Polaris turns... Oh, sorry. Mountain time. Polaris turns the tide on the Marauders. Eastern time. The X-Men attack the intruder, not knowing it's Havoc. Turns out Havoc was mind-wiped, and his dream was real. Oh, the X-Men catch him up on what's going on after deciding whether they need to kill him or not. Yeah, that, that conversation took place. Mountain time. Malice possesses Polaris to now lead the Marauders. She's going to be the leader. Yep. Eastern time to be continued. <laughs> So right off the bat on page one, we get a grandpa, old man, Havoc. Yeah, why does he look so old? I don't know. That's terrible. <laughs> and he's all hunched over like an old man, too. Yeah, yeah he's got arthritis. Really strange. And, and even as it goes through, I I don't like the way Blevins draws his mask. No, I don't either. At all. It looks like he's got a G-string on his face. <laughs> right? It looks like... You know what it looks like? It looks like some old dude getting married for like the fourth time. Okay. And he has a bachelor party with some nasty ass stripper and she threw the G string on his face and it like got stuck on his nose and he never took it off. Yeah, well in this rogue picture it looks like that nasty stripper. That's true. She does. Actually, she looks like someone who's had a tremendous amount of plastic surgery. Yes. Joan Rivers esque. Yeah. She just died, though, so I didn't want to throw her under the bus. Didn't she? Didn't she just die? Just? Last year? Oh, that's not... We've had a lot of cool people die since then. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. Open season. Open season (laughs) is not too soon. Um, Yeah. But yeah, and then they all melt. All the faces melt. And the classic dream, everyone melts at the end sequence. Right, right, as you wake up. Yeah. So there's a flying Jeep. <laughs> flying Jeep. I thought, backing up a couple of panels, okay. I don't understand why Polaris sounds like an old lady. 
Like the dial her dialogue. She sounds like an old, really old lady. What do you mean? Because she says, first, what in heaven's name? <laughs> Which is something okay. And then she says, here, lover, I'll wrap this quilt around you. That's something. She calls him a poor dear. Oh, yeah. And then she says, let's get you back inside before you catch your death of cold. <laughs> and then she, she is says, mothering her boyfriend. Exactly. She says, just sit and relax, sweetheart. I'll have hot cocoa and some chicken soup ready in the jiff. <laughs> it's like it's his grandma. That's funny. Weird dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly maternal for, for his, what's supposed to be early 20s girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're probably, I guess that would be their age around now, early 20s, roughly. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mid- mid-20s, probably. Yeah. They're they're grad students. Of course, their education has been delayed by being X Men. True. So yeah, mid twenties, I guess. I don't understand. I thought I thought the whole and I I get the point of it, but the idea that he didn't bring her along seemed really stupid to me. Yeah, I agree. That she's making the point. I'm gonna come with you, and he's like, "No, I need to do this on my own." But why? She has mutant powers too. Well, he needs to do it on his own so that her plot line can develop. I know, but it doesn't make sense. She's arguably more powerful than he is because she can control magnetism. They're both pretty powerful. Yeah, they, they are. They are a true power couple. Yeah, but it just didn't make any sense that he's like, I'm going to go and investigate the possibility that the X-Men as a team are in trouble. And right. so I myself am going to go investigate this. You stay home and do nothing. That's that. That's that. Summer's stubbornness and that stubborn gene stubborn, of, stubborn, of abandoning your women. <laughs> summer stubborn, stubborn. I know it was the really summer's funny. brothers <laughs> like to leave their women behind. That's true. That's a good point. And he says as much. You know, stupid, stubborn summer. So I think he says that. Does he say? Okay, okay. I can't remember if he did or not. At one point, when he says he's cold and sad. Yes. He wishes she was there. No, he definitely resents. Anytime he acts like his brother, he self-loathes. Yeah. Which I don't blame him. His brother's a, He's a dick. full-on yeah. asshole a lot of the time. So. <laughs> Especially like in this time period. Yeah. Where he's like the worst husband and father of all time. I know. I know. It's such a funny thing. But yeah, so it's, I don't know. To me, that's really, that premise is dumb that he leaves her behind. And of course, then she gets attacked. And of course, we go forward with it. Right. So for the plot wise, it makes sense why she stayed behind, but it doesn't really make any sense to me in the first place. And so it's one of those, this would have easily been avoided. Yep. I agree. So Blevins, not a huge fan, but I do like the last panel on page nine. Where Sabretooth goes on the hunt. Looks pretty cool. Yeah. And he says, Skirt's still alive. <laughs> yeah. Like chumps that. both missed. So he, he, he dishes it out to friend and foe alike. Yep. Classic Sabretooth. Yeah, Which is couple... too bad because the panel right before that, he looks terrible. Yeah, he does look terrible. There's a, there's a handful of... of interesting panels and even then i wouldn't say it's a really good panel it's just an interesting panel but overall it's not i don't i don't i'm not a fan no nope. his faces are too long and kind of old looking yeah everybody looks ugly yeah weird 
I also think the idea that they think for a moment that they should execute Havoc because he's found them in the tunnel. Well, 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 well let's 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 work our way up to that. <laughs> oh, I thought I, you you were talking about the arts. I thought you were. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I thought we were wrapping it up. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, and, and very close. Uh, there is one point in in New Mexico where Sabretooth finds like a piece of her pants or something. And he, he howls, and Polaris makes a comment, and, and why there's a why they have this comment over the silhouette of a cat walking around the desert. I'm not sure. I don't know either. But anyway, she says, "I heard Wolverine howl like this once. I had nightmares for weeks." I just wanted to point that out. I don't know that Wolverine does a lot of howling though. He does occasionally. He did like yeah. in that time in the forest um, when yeah, him and Storm true. got kidnapped. The only other thing I wanted to point out before the end is right before when Havoc is following Magneto to the sewers and he talks about being self-conscious in his skin-tight suit. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. All right, so anyway, now we, we get to the part, this stupid, stupid part, where, yeah. where anyway, you were saying. Yes, that they he stumbles on him in the tunnels. And they're basically they've decided, I guess, to hide from the marauders. They're going to pretend like they're dead, mm-hmm. and so they don't want anybody to know. So they're trying to wipe out all the evidence, or I guess trying to look make it look like they're all dead. Right. They're so, all going to pretend they're dead. Yeah. Right. And so Havoc finds them uh-huh. sitting, standing at a table with no chairs, <laughs> just in the middle of a wide open sewer system. <laughs> It was all they could find. Or they're having a meeting, apparently. Yeah, an, an X-Men and, club meeting. And so they find another X-Man. Uh-huh. And they determine that maybe they should murder him. <laughs> because he knows where they are now. Yeah. Right. Now, okay. Originally, they might hear someone scuttling around. They don't know yeah. it's Havoc. Right. But by this point, they know who he is. Yeah. He's an X-Man. He belongs, he has as much right to be there as anybody else. And just as much threat against him. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, they were talking about how they need to go find the other old X-Men and warn them about the Marauders. Yep. And their idea is to fake their death but make his real. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it doesn't fit. And it's one of those things that, like, you read the issues leading up to this, like, like we're we're in the middle, at best, of like Claremont's super long run, and this feels like somebody else, like, who didn't know the characters wrote this issue. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's really bizarre. This whole issue doesn't feel like a Claremont issue. No, to me, it doesn't, especially this part. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And to add to that, the fact that it is Storm, who more than any other X-Men struggles over the idea of using any kind of violence. Right. Is the one, although she doesn't suggest it, but they point out very clearly that she considers it for a moment. Right. Which, again, doesn't make any sense. Why? Why? There's no reason at all that they would need to kill Havoc. None. None. Doesn't make any sense. 
Is he going to rat them out? No, he's an X-Man. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why did they mind wipe him anyway? Did they establish that back when that happened? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't know when that happened. I don't know okay. if that happened in an issue of New Mutants or I something. Was, I was going to ask if I missed that. No, no. But then I just forgot about it. But so that I don't. So Not yeah, only this, that, he's already been like both the last two miniseries we've covered in the flashback episodes. Yeah. That came out before this. Now, where are they going story wise? Um, I'll leave one of the other websites to figure that out. But he's already been with the X-Men. So I don't know if he like went and did those missions and this is him. Because he said he was there and he came back. Yeah. And that's where we start this story is he was with the X-Men, but he came back home. And yeah. had, well, he doesn't know about the Marauders attack. Right. So well, the so- whole the whole timeline of everything that came out in this middle part of 87... Like trying to sort that out is kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. So those other those ex other series mm-hmm. must have happened before the mutant massacre. No. If Havoc was there, no, that had to happen after because Kitty and Nightcrawler were injured. That's right. But Havoc, oh, but but Havoc was there. So, so maybe either, this is why they mind wiped him. Maybe so. So he's. Because, you know what they did. They uh they actually they read reread the encounters between the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, and realized what crappy miniseries those were. They said, <laughs> "Havoc, we're gonna erase this from your memory. You're welcome." <laughs> I guess so. I don't. That doesn't really make. Yeah, I don't know where the mind wipe thing. Maybe we missed it. If we did, it was in another book, and not X Factor, because I've been reading X Factor alongside because I have them. I don't maybe, have the New Mutant stuff from here. So actually, Andrew, when you listen to this, and I know you will, um, you're our new, our new mutant, our new mutant expert. Did Havoc? Did he play a role? Because I, I know the Magneto White King stuff is very involved in New Mutants. So yeah. did Havoc also like kind of show up and do something, and something bad happened, and the X Men had to send him home with no memory? I don't know. Anyway. So did this did this already happen? Is that what we're getting here? <laughs> Is that he already went to the X Mansion, went to the the Hellfire Club Council? Whoa, 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 whoa. Cameron. Mind wiped him. Are you suggesting a, a, a causal time loop? <laughs> That's what I'm suggesting. Okay. This exact same thing has already happened and they just wanted to replay it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, this this issue's dumb. Yep. Yeah, art's terrible mostly. Um, the story is mediocre at best. What do you want? What do you want to grade? Well, first of all, I mean, since uh, since we're talking about this because of Sabretooth's appearance, what do you think of Sabretooth in this issue? I don't like the way he's drawn for the most part, but I I don't I, I kind of like the way he's written. Yeah. I mean, he's just a nasty dude yeah, who wants to murder nasty, people. The, yeah. the skirts, the frails, the, <laughs> all that. You know, it's all classic sociopathic, psychopathic saber tooth. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to point out one more thing that I thought was kind of cool. That they'll earn this, this issue a little bit of marks. Because I like Polaris. I like that when Malice takes her over. It's because she has the power of Polaris 
that she's able to kind of subdue and then become the leader of the Marauders. Yeah, okay. I think that's cool. Like, because because I like Polaris so much anyway, yeah. it's, it's with her power that she's like, you know what? I'm going to be the boss now. And if you don't like it, let me show you why. And she, like, uses Polaris's powers to, like, take take apart Scalp Hunter and bury, <laughs> bury Arclight <laughs> under the... Uh, Apparently, super magnetically charged desert sand. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a funny, a silly little part of it too. Right. So anyway, that part was cool, but overall, not not a great issue. What do you want to grade on Kenny X Men two nineteen? Um, probably. I kind of want to say two, but I feel like that might be a little bit harsh. <laughs> But I think I'm going to say two. You're giving two feeling harsh. I'm going to give the same two out of six claws, and I feel like I'm being generous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we'll stick with a solid two then. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll average out to just a nice two out of six claws for that one. Yeah. All right. So at, next up, we have issue 220, Unfinished Business. And, um... We get some some interesting stuff here, uh, Cameron. Who who does this book? All right, we have unfinished business. Chris Claremont, writer. Mark Silvestri, penciler. All right. And Green Finisher. Finisher. Glennis Oliver, colorist, and Tom Morzachowski, letter. Okay. Now there was an issue we missed that Silvestri did a guest pencil. And of course, he did the X Men versus Avengers uh, on the yeah. last flashback episode. Yeah. So it's not his first time to draw Wolverine, but this is his first, like, his official start to his run on Uncanny X Men. So that's pretty cool. Because, uh, like we talked yeah. about with Dan, um, Silvestri does a lot for the character of Wolverine. Uh, visually, as an artist, love him or hate him, he's super influential as a Wolverine fan. And yeah. so it's pretty exciting to see him kind of come on the book, like, for real now. You know, it's going to be the first time you and I will, will, will talk about his art together. So that'll be fun. Right. And he also does a cover. What's on the cover? The cover shows a drooling forge with all hooked up to a bunch of cables. Um, and then a storm bursting in through the door, waving her fist in the air. <laughs> Falling forge, a coward. She wants her powers back. Yeah. What do you think of this cover? Um, it's pretty cool. I like it. I like it too. It's uh, it's, it's appropriately dark. creepy and gross looking. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of. It's, it's very gross. And the, the yellow eyes, Forge's eyes, are really yellow. Which right. That. Yeah, the drool's a nice touch. Yeah, and he just he looks just sick. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I like. You know, it's kind of cheesy what, what that storm like busting with her fist and yelling yeah, at him. The red and the it's a little bit. That's a little cheesy. But it kind of also has like a classic, I don't Classic misunderstanding feel. Well, no, like it, almost like a classic dark sci-fi. Like if, if you take away the speech bubble and make her posture a little bit different. Yeah. Like with Forge kind of in the foreground and her in the background, I like, I like the layout of that. And it has a very kind of classic, just dark sci-fi feel. Maybe, maybe even a little horror-ish. Kind of, noir, kind of a noir. Yeah, 
Right. Almost, yeah. But then her pose and her speech bubble kind of blows that. <laughs> yeah. She's doing a little Peggy Bundy walk. So yeah. Looks- yeah, classic Sylvestery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Okay, so we open this comic, Unfinished Business. It opens up with two eagles, mm-hmm. I guess, or hawks. Eagles, I think. Yeah. Eagles, I guess. Yeah. Flying to the sky. One's got a little white mohawk. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Uh, they're flying to the sky. Then one turns into a robot and kills the other one. Silver hawks. And it says, <laughs> it says in the realm of imagination is the hawks. And then back to the world, the realm of reality. And so we have we open up then after the hawk attack. We open up with Wolverine on a cliff, still having the existential crisis he had before from when um, he was controlled briefly. And so he's just sitting on a cliff, really. So Storm <laughs> comes up to talk to him on the ledge, to talk him off the ledge, uh, pun intended, right? and ask him to lead the X-Men while she goes to get her powers back. Um, they yeah, she's going to run to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to return this, return this human skin. Get a power <laughs> um, they argue about it for a little bit. Logan reluctantly, very reluctantly agrees. So we cut to Big D into Dallas. Yay! Where it is raining really hard, which is unusual for Dallas, but it happens. Yeah, that seems to happen every time the X-Men go. Yeah, for whatever reason, they always go in that couple of weeks when it rains in here in Texas. But <laughs> And her mohawk still stands firm in that rain, which I thought that was really interesting. Because they they go out of the Sylvester goes out of way to show how hard it's raining. It's, it's slanty rain, yeah. like when it rains sideways. Yeah, and her but her hair is going strong. It is not bothered by that rain. Um, anyway, so she finds Eagle Plaza empty, seemingly abandoned. She kind of wanders through it, trying to figure out what happened, reliving a little bit about the last time she was there. A little uh, bit? Well, we're going to get to a lot more. So <laughs> officially, she's talking and thinking about it. Um, and then there's an old naked man on the roof uh, who is summoning Native American powers because he's some kind of shaman. It'll be uh, Naze, but for now, just as old man. Then she, then the holograms start. And the holograms basically replay what had happened the last time she was there, as well as ultimately past when she was there um and it shows her confronting forge and then the danger room gets all weird not danger room but forge is basically it is a giant danger room right yeah. uh, where it's all realistic holograms um it gets all wacky then she keeps getting to the pit house and finally finds forge all attack attached to cables trapped into the cables like on the cover uh but calling for her talking about how his heart is gone and how he wants to save her or whatever uh, but that ends up that ends up being also a hologram, and so she's seeing what happened after she left, but before whatever happened to Forge. Then Naze shows up, the shaman, um, also looking for Forge. Turns out he activated the holograms because he wanted to test Storm, <laughs> see if she still had her edge, because he was going to call her anyway. Um, and then he calls her a stupid cow, which I thought was really a random explosion of misogyny in the middle of this comic and an awfully uh, harsh sentence to say to someone that you're trying to get to help you but whatever 
then basically the shaman reveals Forge's destiny, that Forge also had shaman powers and that there's some kind of prophecy where he's going to fight the adversary, as they call him, this otherworldly figure. Yeah. Um, and so apparently what the assumption is is the adversary has gotten Forge, and so they're trying to get him back, or the, the shaman's trying to get him back, and he wants Storm to help her. Storm doesn't want to. But then ultimately, just like Wolverine, she reluctantly agrees. Full circle. End it like we started. Yeah. And that's it. And it ends with a really creepy picture of the shaman. Yeah. I I think think he's just trying to show that he's an old man with a wrinkled face. No, I think they're trying to show that he's evil. Okay. Maybe so. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We'll, We'll get to that later. Maybe not this episode. But, uh, no, well, it's not the ones that we read for this one. So okay. I'm not, I haven't I haven't read it. In, I don't think I've ever read the. Ah, uh, okay. I I, think, see, I remember how this ends. So, okay. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I think I I have in my in my collection. I had a big gap around this time. Uh, okay. So a lot of these I've because I read a lot of the, you know, all the one one seventies, one eighties, and all that stuff up into the early two hundreds, and then I think my collection picks back up like in the two thirties or two forties. I think. Okay. So this is yeah. So yeah, I've never out back years. I don't know where that guy goes. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so they're showing that maybe he's. So we get some uh, some foreshadowing here. Either way, it looks creepy. Whether whether yeah. he, whether he turns out to be evil or not. Yeah. Um, so I I have a question, Cameron. Okay. On page two. Page two. I'm there. Uh huh. Is that how eagles have sex? That's a good question. I don't think so. Listen. I don't believe that that's what's happening here. How do eagles... But you know what? He says with a passionate cry. So, mate. yeah, you're probably right. Let's see. How do eagles... I don't think birds do it in the air like bugs do. I think they go to the nest. <laughs> but I don't know. I really don't know. Or no, they don't. They just fertilize the eggs. They don't actually have intercourse, right? Birds? Yeah. I don't know. They just lay the egg and then they fertilize the egg. Isn't that how that works? Like the chickens? I don't know. While courtship displays take place in flight, eagles do not mate in the air. Rather, copulation occurs on... And this is from nationaleaglecenter.org. All right. Um, Science guy. Yeah. Um... You oh, the answer to this, or? Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, it's too much to read. No, they, they, don't, they don't screw in the air. They don't do it in the air. That's the yeah. point. And they don't just uh, fertilize eggs. I don't know if but, they do missionary position in the air, either, like in the air or in the nest either. Yeah. I guess <laughs> I thought that they, they laid eggs and then they fertilized them, but maybe that doesn't make any sense. Well, no, it could. I don't know. But I'm, I'm no ego expert. No, I don't want to join your newsletter. I don't know. I don't know either. I feel like as educated people, we should probably know some something of this. But okay. Wait. Here we go. Uh, but it's not my field. The male mounts the female. Okay. All right. That settles that. Yeah. <laughs> and what is known as a cloacal kiss? A what? A cloacal clo cloacal cloacal kiss. Okay. Some kind of kiss, but it's not their mouse. I'm telling you that. All right. I get um, it. I get it. 
Yeah. I'm going to Google bird sex, but I'm going to be careful. <laughs> Do not I'm Google gonna... image. Yeah. <laughs> just, just in case. <laughs> hey. Anyway, that the sexual preferences of eagles aside, okay. I think the art in this whole section is fantastic. Yes. Especially whole... the robot eagle looks amazing. Yeah, I think this whole book is really good. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, welcome aboard, Mark Silvestri. Yeah, definitely. Especially after Blevins in the last issue, <laughs> yeah. this is a, this is a real a real uh, tr- we really traded up on this one. Yes, we did. So, what do you think of Storm and Wolverine's um, quasi confrontation? Uh, it's good. I still I still don't like this pity party that Wolverine's having. Yeah, I feel like it's too. I feel like it's, he's overreacting about this this whole thing that he lost control of his senses briefly. Right. I think that's a weird. It, it's weird that it's like apparent, like weeks later. I guess I don't know how long it's been. <laughs> I, think they, I think they say a few weeks ago. Right. In one of these issues, for when the Marauders got killed, so it, you know it's been a while. I mean, long enough that that it doesn't seem to me that Wolverine would 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 pout that long. Especially when there's killing to be done, right? You know what I mean. So the Marauders are out there; they're still doing stuff, and it doesn't seem very Wolverine-like to me to go sit on a cliff and just be like, "Hmm, <laughs> I'm not in complete control all the time." Maybe, <laughs> right? No, I agree. It's definitely a little dramatic. Yeah, and I don't think he would hang his hat on what happened. I do think he would be reluctant to lead under any circumstance Yeah. at this time in Wolverine's history. Um, yeah, I agree with that. So so that part I kind of like. And, but I do think also, though, that when the chips were down, if he had to, he would reluctantly take the role. So, yeah. so I thought all that part fit. I don't know if necessarily every every line of dialogue is perfect, but I think the the conversation and the end result I thought were really good. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, so I don't really have anything else. Uh, I don't. I lo- that scene's good, and then I honestly, I kind of thought the rest of this book is kind of boring. Yeah, it's just kind of recapping what happened between her and Forge for a long time, and the whole thing of her wandering through. Nothing is really happening except that there's holograms attacking her i don't know it's just it's a weird it's weird that they spit they dedicated so much time to tell this story i would almost have rather have had you know three or four less pages and a couple more editor's notes i'm like see these issues <laughs> yeah yeah because there was too much like panel for panel and and i guess like doing it through the hologram was Given the choices of like over explaining yeah. recaps, that's probably a better option than just having some guy remember it. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with the hall I, I kinda like that. I just it just went on too long. They just recapped it for, you know, ten pages when you could have done it in five. So I I, you know, I like that the technique, this idea of her watching it happen. Uh, real time, and then that she stumbles on Forge attached to the cables. Turns out that's a hologram from the past. Right. I thought that was all cool. It just was so long that I wasn't. I, I found myself less interested in it because it was so long. Because it was just 
page after page of her walking through this building. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, so, yeah, it wasn't bad. It just, uh, I thought it was just kind of boring. Yeah, I'm with you. So we talked about it a little bit, but overall, I like the art a lot in this issue. The art's very good. You know, it's funny, because one of the things we talked about, um, and this this topic will come up again a little bit later in this episode, but, you know, when Dan was on, because Sylvester did the first three issues of the X-Men Avengers miniseries. Yeah. And there were spots that you could tell, like, you know, particularly like in, in women's faces. That he has a thing he does that is very Sylvester-y that went back. But it didn't really look like him all the time in that miniseries. Like, he looked a little more kind of standard Marvel. But I feel yeah. like this issue is definitely, like, it's him. Yeah, I, I think I think part of it is Dan Green. I think part of it, too, is Oliver on the colors with kind of the more traditional colors versus the, the 80s digital colors that we had in the Avenger books. Yeah. Um, it makes his art look better and it makes it look more personalized. Um, we're right on, we're right on the cusp, you know, because once, once they get to the nineties, a lot of the, the technology kind of jumps. Right. And so a lot of this, a lot of these guys from our, my air quotes, our golden age. Right. Of, right. For, for us, people our age, you know, that early nineties, late 80s or early 90s, you know, with, with all the, the big names of Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee. So all the colors got smoother and everything just starts looking a lot more crisp, I guess. Right. And, uh, and more depth to the colors. And so I think that affects it a lot. And so like Silvestri, this looks like Silvestri, but it doesn't completely look like Silvestri because it's still, you know, the colors are still a little light and... Of course, I'm looking at a digital copy, too, so... Yeah. But I prefer these colors to what's going on in some of the other Marvel books at this time. Um, yeah. I like that Oliver kind of has a more muted, Madden kind of color scheme. She looks like she was still doing it very organically. Yeah. Whereas, like, like Avengers, Alpha Flight, books like that, where they were already kind of experimenting with the more digital stuff. It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't look, it, it, looks, it, it actually work. looks yeah. flatter, even though it's more modern. Like I feel like Oliver brings a lot of depth to her colors. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think she's one of the best colorists of the eighties. Just in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I get behind that. Yeah. But I thought visually this book was great. I'm excited to have Sylvester kind of on board you know, one of the things we get with that that we also talked about um, during the uh, Avengers miniseries is, is one of the things he brings is kind of makes the bladed claws the de facto look for Wolverine. Yeah. Like we've, you know, Frank Miller did it occasionally and there's been a couple, you know, it'll kind of pop up every now and then. But he's the guy that really makes it kind of the standard look. And right. so, and that's personally just kind of my favorite way to draw the claws. And so I'm really excited to kind of see that. And I felt like he also had a, a pretty good range. Um, he's, you know, a lot of people, once he goes and starts the image, and especially once he makes his top cow thing, and especially once he kicks off Witchblade, <laughs> yeah. which was, you know, just a girl running around mostly naked. Yeah. I think modern sensibilities in comics tend to kind of dump on him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, some of that is probably justified. 
But I feel like back here, you know, when he was kind of just starting on his arc to become like a comic superstar, I feel like he actually shows a lot of range. His nature stuff looks really good. His facial expressions overall are pretty decent. I mean, they're definitely kind of sketchy. His his early style is definitely kind of sketchy. But like his, his, his inside of Eagle Plaza looks pretty good. Like, I feel like he covers a lot of ground in this issue and it all looks pretty decent. Yeah, I agree. So, looks great. So I'm excited. I'm excited to kind of revisit. You know, because one, one of the things I thought about thinking about like current day Sylvester, he was like, well, if I'm going to like his art as much as I remember liking it, then, you know, we'll see, because he has a pretty, pretty lengthy run between Uncanny and then going over to the Wolverine solo series. We're going to have a lot of Sylvester on this podcast. So I won't I won't make any kind of final proclamation. <laughs> I will say the early signs look good. And I'm probably I I still really like this. Yeah. And it's not it's a good. just a nostalgia thing. I I think this is good art. Yeah. And, I mean, especially comparatively at the time, this is this is good. Good yeah. stuff. I'm gonna assume he he asked Marvel to put Blevins <laughs> on the issue before. <laughs> Just soften it up for me. This is my, you know, yeah, X Men is my big is my big chance. I gotta make the most of it. Why don't you <laughs> throw a little Blevins softball out there? That's funny. All right. So, what do you think of the? Of the well, I guess we pretty much already talked about it. Um, some of the character stuff's cool, but a lot of the issues kind of boring. Overall, I kind of waffled between a three and a four. When are, you, when are you going to end up giving um, 220? I, I decided to go four. Okay. Because even though I was kind of bored, the story, it, ultimately I'm interested in the story. I just wish they didn't take so long to tell it. And so it's a it's a good story. It's interesting. It's well done. The art's really good. That alone I think is worth something. Right. Just the fact that it's so good. But yeah, so yeah, four I think is a good one because it's not, again, it's a little boring but not like dumb like the last one where it's like I just didn't like it or or boring like Dazzler stories where I like go oh, <laughs> right. boring. This is just a you know they just took too long to tell a story really right. is what this was. Speaking of too long, why why do you think it took Storm so long to decide? Hey, I'm gonna track Forge down to see if he'll give me back my powers. I don't know that either. I I, I guess there was a whole. But I guess from a from Claremont's perspective, he just had other stories to tell and didn't have time to get to it. But yeah. well, from a character perspective, had, it's weird. You also had the whole stuff with the violence and her struggling with all that from before the Marauders attack. And then once the Marauders attack, that raises all the stakes. That's true. Okay. And so I guess the idea is like, okay, I can't just be a regular person because this kind of violence and evil... I need my powers to fight that. Okay, I'll buy that. that That's I, kind of the I, I like was that. thinking about. That yeah. She's like trying to make a go of it as a normal person. She was, you know, she talked about being a crutch with the power and, you know, wanting to be able to exist without all that. Right. The Marauders, I mean, she's got to have her powers. Yeah, all right. All right, then that, that, that makes sense to kind of be the motivation, so... All right, so we'll both uh, give Uncanny X-Men 220, four out of six claws when it's all said and done. Double uh, fours. Let's move on to 221. 
This is Death by Drowning. And this is um, exact same team. Uh, Claremont, Silvestri, Dan Green, Orzakowski, and Oliver. And on the cover, we have a cover that I, as a kid, loved. We have Havoc just kind of losing control and blasting off. And he's blasting Wolverine. And Wolverine is kind of flying away. And he's got one set of claws popped. And they're the very bladed claws. And they're reflecting the light of Havoc's power. I'm looking at this now. There's a couple of proportion problems. And it's weird that <laughs> that Wolverine has that little tuft of armpit hair. Yeah. But overall, I still really like the cover. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this cover, too. It's uh, it's just a classic. And may very well... See, it'll be a competition between this one and the next one. What ends up being kind of the, the title image for this episode. But uh, this is a contender. The, the armpit hair, thinking about that, if you look at the picture... It's weird because it, his sides are exposed on both sides as if his shirt is like Colossus's shirt. Oh, yeah. Where it's like a stripe of cloth and then it's bare on the sides. Right, but then he still has the two tones. Yeah. And, so and dark, his right and side looks ripped, but his left side looks like that's how yeah. it was cut. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Oh, and he has pink eye. But I guess his healing factor will take care of that. Yeah. Well, his, his eyes are closed, I'm assuming. So <laughs> you're right. just seeing his eyelids. Okay, recap us. All right. So here's our synopsis. We Synopsis. finally meet Mr. Sinister, who makes an example out of Sabretooth. His marauders are piss poor, and Madeline Pryor is still alive. Dazzle and a rogue spat in the danger room. And Cameron sent me a text about this. What did you have to say, Cameron? Oh, what did I say? Oh, <laughs> I said, uh, uh, what did I say? Rogue versus Dazzler. This is a fight that I dot, 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 couldn't care less about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're in the danger room. Um, Storm and Naze go for a spirit walk in the Grand Canyon. The X-Men go to rescue Madeline, but the Marauders are also there to finish their job. Yay, fight! Psylocke gets hit by Harpoon, causing a psychic backlash to her teammates. Scrambler uh, scrambles Havoc, and he blasts out of control, taking out the X-Men. But Madeline gets a drop on him, but the hospital is in danger of collapsing. Wolverine has Rogue remove Madeline from the hospital so the Marauders will follow, sparing innocent lives. As they fly away, uh, Malice slash Polaris uh, captures them in steel beams. Mal Polaris dumps them underwater, but Dazzler lasers them free, but the uh, exertion of her powers makes her pass out. Rogue pulls her out to the surface, letting them finally be friends but only to be confronted by Malice slash Polaris. So, we finally meet Mr. Sinister, and I don't like him. <laughs> it's a, he looks too, he's too vampire-y. Yeah. Yeah, the, so, so the first page is this big close-up of his face. And first of all, an interesting note, 
His desi- his classic design with the diamond on his chest and his forehead is not a diamond. It's like yeah. a little star. And it's black. And he has shark teeth for no reason. Yeah, why are the teeth so sharp? And I think that carries over if you remember Sinister's look in the 90s X-Men cartoon. Yeah. I think that that survives at least to that point. But I don't, I don't like it. I don't either. It looks cheesy. It doesn't look, it doesn't make him look more. No, it looks like, uh, what's, what's the vampire comic, the guy at this time? Um. In the Spider-Man, he was with Spider-Man. Oh, Morbius? Morbius, yeah. yeah. he does look kind of like Morbius. Remind me of Morbius. Yeah. Although I, I do like. His ankle boots? <laughs> this is a Robin, he looks like he's got Robin Hood boots on. <laughs> No, I like that he. I like that he takes uh, Sabretooth to task. Yeah, just because it's you know Sabretooth is such a powerful figure. It was a, it's an interest. It's interesting to then see him so overcome. You know, just like right. just picked up by the neck and just dangling there. Yeah, no, it makes it makes Sinister look more badass. It does. It but except for the boots, if you took away the little yeah. Oh wait, he has boots on top of boots. So he has boots that go up to his crotch, and then he has ankle boots on top of those. Oh, yeah. Those are pants. Wow. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and, of course, his classic tattered cape. It'll be his trademark. Also, an interesting color scheme on our first appearance of Mr. Sinister. I like the dark color. blue with, like, purple, and then he has lime green accents. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool looking, I think. Yeah, it's not too bad, actually. All right, I have no more comments until I'm page 16. So I, yeah. made, I made three comments about this whole book. <laughs> All right. One is the one that I texted you. Okay. The second one was, I wrote down, finger guns, really? That's a Dazzler thing, yeah. I know she does it, but every time I see it, it's, it's right. such a... I just think of Shooter McGavin. Yeah. <laughs> And then the other one, I think, applies a little bit later where I wrote, thanks for explaining teamwork, I roll. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of comments in this one. So so I was just um, complimenting Silvestri's Wolverine Claws, right? Yeah. On page 16, his left-hand claws look awesome and his right-hand claws look terrible. So like left-hand is thick blades... <laughs> And yeah. right hand is little toothpicks. It's just the way, it's the perspective, I guess. Of the I way think it is, but it just doesn't work right. <laughs> yeah, they look too different, so they don't, they don't look like they're the same thing. Right. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And, you know, this issue particularly just made me think of this. That has probably been a question, We, if we haven't asked it before, we should have. But where does Wolverine put his cowboy hat? Because it's not just that he like has it at the mansion and then he puts his cowl on. He's yeah. like running around town with in uniform but a cowboy hat. Then he takes off his cowboy hat, puts his cowl on. Then you think, okay, well maybe he just loses that hat and gets another one. Nope. Later, after he's <laughs> moved around a whole lot, he takes his cowl off and puts this same cowboy hat back on. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's got a little backpack. 
little backpack. Maybe it's attached to a little like, string that follows him around. Yeah, one of those like looks like a satchel and you, with a string and you tie it around <laughs> so he can't see it because it's so small. It's just his hat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the, the teamwork thing was on page 12. So actually it was earlier. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's when we have a smoking finger gun. Yeah, we got the smoking finger in. But it's just such a funny, like, I don't know. Psylocke's like, perfect shot, Dazzler. Use your solid light blast and knock Scalp Hunter unconscious. Dazzler says, only because you showed me where to shoot and monitored my power so I wouldn't use too much energy and maybe kill the man. And then Psylocke says, that's why we're a team, remember? So our various abilities can complement <laughs> each other. <laughs> a bizarre amount of explanation for the point of having a team. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. You use your powers together. That's how this works. Right. <laughs> classic over explaining classic claremont yeah yeah anyway well i don't want our lack of comments to well do you have anything else you want to talk about not really all right so i don't know either um and i don't want our lack of comments to make it seem like i didn't enjoy this because i actually like this issue quite a bit yeah that's a good issue. It, uh, yeah, the comments, the lack of comments are not really, it's just a solid kind of action-packed issue. Yeah. Where yeah. nothing too major happens that you really need to talk about, but it's not boring. It's just a lot of action, a lot of fighting. Yeah. I like how tough Madeline Pryor is. I like that it. too. I like that she punches a scalp hunter in the face. It's one of those weird things that because it shows even though I don't think this is why Scott made the decision he did, but it shows while why he could have fallen in love with her besides just looking like Jean. Yeah. And it shows why she, well, you know, why she could maybe win the heart of somebody else because she is a, just a really strong, independent, cool woman. And so just yeah. of herself. Do you want to mention, we, you know, we kind of talk about, we'll get some more of this later too, but... I don't know if it's talked about as much this issue, but kind of leading up to this, that her her history has been meticulously erased. Yeah, so yeah they she, I think they talk about it in this one. Yeah, so she's like a Jane Doe, according to all the authorities. Yeah. Um, yeah, they reference that in here. Okay, cool. So I thought the art was really good. Um, yep. And I thought... I, for my notes for the story, I wrote finally back to the Marauders. Yeah, and it it's a yeah, it's a good story. I, the and it also kind of highlights the better Marauders in this particular issue, I think. Right. Because you know you have like that harpoon guy and stuff too, but they're not really in this one. They'll be in the next one, but and some of the weaker Marauders, but this one is you know it's all Malice, who is you know. Now she's Polaris, so I guess that makes her cool, kind of. It makes her cooler, anyway. Even though the fact that she's a necklace is still stupid, but whatever. <laughs> but, you know, Sabretooth, Scalp Hunter, although Scalp Hunter doesn't look very cool in this issue. No, but he's... But I mean, he is cooler. For the Marauders, he's definitely one of the better characters, I think. Right. Yeah. I don't fully understand his power, except that I guess he's just like a forge, but it's only good for weapons. Well, he's like, yeah, he's like bionic, and he can make really cool guns, and he's a really, really good shot. He keeps talking about how I can build a gun that can hurt anything. Right. So it's like a forge, 
but it seems like his only related to guns. Like he can't invent anything else. Whereas Forge can build anything. Right. Forge is the maker. He's the gun maker. There you go. There you go. I thought uh, also uh, one thing. I thought Scrambler is a weird. There's a weird look for Scrambler. Yeah, he's just walking around in street clothes. This looks like a like he's dressed like a Miami Vice guy. <laughs> Blazer with the T-shirt under it and the pushed-up sleeves. Right. He looks like a bad guy in like an '80s cop show. It's kind of your standard Miami yeah. Vice bad guy. But he doesn't always push up his sleeves. He pushes up his sleeves when it's time to get get busy, to get to work. No, he puts his sleeves down. Because look, when he's got his hands on Havoc's head, his sleeves are down. Oh, that's right. And when he's and done, when he he's, rolls them back up. When he's walking, like, he's look rolling. what I just did. Time to relax. Yep. So, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, wear my tie yeah. loosely around my neck. Yeah. <laughs> they should have just gone full Don Johnson here. They should have. Yeah. I also don't quite understand Psylocke's outfit. It was terrible. And she looks like it's like a nightgown. And then she has those weird, like, handkerchiefs on her calves. Is I. It's yeah, a weird outfit. I, I cannot wait for that to go away. Yeah. And, you know, Dazzler and Longshot are in this comic. Yeah. They're going to be, be around for a, a while, unfortunately. Which is a real knock against it in my mind. But <laughs> I do like that they settle the beef between Rogue and Dazzler. I guess so. Only because I didn't care about it, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to spend any more time with it. So I'm glad that they resolved it. So we can move on. Yep. Yeah. All right. You want to grade it? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you give two twenty one? Um, I was kind of struggling a little between four and a five. I almost want to give it a five. Well, I did. I gave it five out of six. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I kind of wanted to give it a five. I feel like it's a little bit high because, again, Dazzler and Longshot are in this comic. <laughs> and, but, I mean, it's a good, solid comic. And, you know, art's good. Action's good. It's an interesting story. It's going somewhere. So, yeah, we, you know, we get the sinister reveal. We're finally back to the Marauder story after kind That's of. That's true. Even though I don't like the face, the sinister reveal is a good. Yeah, yeah, it's five. We'll see. That's a good one, I think. All right. Cool. Well, um, let's get to our last one, October of 87. Dun, 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 well, uh, cover dated October. Dun, 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 dun. So this is this is dun, Wolverine's 13th birthday. And to honor that, he's on the cover with his arch nemesis, Sabretooth, on Uncanny X-Men 222. That's right. All right, so Heartbreak. We have <laughs> We have Chris Claremont, writer, uh, Mark Silvestri, and Dan Green as artists. Interestingly, they're both listed instead of one. Yeah. Uh, Glennis Oliver, colorist. Not, I mean, do they do that often? But I always think it's interesting when they do. Yeah. Because I always wonder how much Dan Green did. I, like, he probably uh, inked. I mean, that's probably. It's like these months where it's like sometimes he's finisher, sometimes he's inker, and sometimes he's co-artist. And so I think it's funny that there's there's a there's a 
a level, I guess, of, of participation that he does. Yeah. Like, well, this month, we're going to call you an artist. This month, you're just going to be finished. <laughs> you didn't do quite enough to get bumped up to artist. Right. Which I think is kind of interesting. But anyway, Glennis Oliver, colorist, Tom Wozniczewski, lettering. Um, yes, the cover is a. I like this cover a lot, except I don't like Sabretooth's face. It's very sketchy. It's a weird looking it's face. Not, yeah, it's not. The cover, the drawing, the art on the cover is not very tight. Yeah. But I still really like it. Basically, but we a, have Wolverine. Wolverine I, yeah, the Wolverine, I don't mind it. I like it. And every, you know, the, everything else about Saber, it's just the actual face looks really smushed. I can see that. I really, his hair bugged me more than his face. The hair is oddly. It's like he's wearing a wig. Yeah, it does look kind of wiggish. But uh, but yeah, but otherwise, it's a great cover. Yeah, so we have Wolverine and Sabretooth facing off, growling at each other. And it's it's pretty great. I really yeah. like Sabretooth's hands. That's kind of yeah, a weird thing to, to comment on, I guess. But yeah, like the claws are sharp, not too long. Like they kind of perfect. To me, that's like the perfect saber tooth hand. Long, but not crazy long. The claws, that is. Right. And the Wolverine claws coming at, about to pierce right into saber tooth. Yeah. Okay, so we open up. San Francisco Bay, Rogue and Dazzler floating, while the malice in the body of Polaris, whose hair is blonde all of a sudden for one page, yeah. it floats above them. Right before she tries to finish off Rogue and Dazzler, Havoc blasts. Uh, Malice from the shore. He can't see that it's Polaris. We'll see. Polaris. But anyway, he blasts her, knocks her down, throws all three of them onto a beach where they crash a beach party where we got an old man reading a book and then a bunch of people in bikinis running around. The old man looks like Harvey Bullock. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And then um, the beach kids have a hero book and so they're trying to figure out who they are. Turns out it's those same super polite <laughs> kids from Japan. What a weird callback. <laughs> it's really random to make it the same kids. Although this time they don't offer them any tea. They ask for an autograph. Uh, and Rogue and Dazzler are kind of well, jerks. That's because they're in America now, Cameron. So they're acting more American and pushy. I guess that's true. Instead of polite. But Rogue and Dazzler basically tell the kids to get out of there. <laughs> I thought for, for Dazzler... Who's like a pop star? It seems like her instinct would be to sign some autographs, right? But I mean, they're you know for their own safety, they're trying to kids tell the kids to get out of there. But it's kind of funny how abrupt they treat the kids, especially after how nice the kids were and how much they helped Professor X back originally, right? When they were like really helpful. Dazzler, she starts to basically charge herself up again. Uh, which scares everybody on the beach because she absorbs all the sound. And so everyone, even when they're talking, it gets basically absorbed by Dazzler and turned into light, which is kind of weird, but kind of cool, I guess, for Dazzler. I think this is one of the better uses and explanations of her powers. Yeah, I would agree with that. And visually it looks better. And like the guy, like, like fiddling with his jukebox, like, what the hell? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, his, his, uh, Boombox, not jukebox. Boombox, that's right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's all right. For Dazzler, it's it's pretty decent. Um, and so Havoc shows up. Uh, some cranky cop gives him a ride. 
gives <laughs> havoc and uh, Psylocke a ride where he basically says he'd throw them all in jail if he could, but his lieutenant is asking him about the Marauders. They explain who they are. Uh, they get to the beach. Havoc discovers that it's Polaris. Um, that was the Marauder he knocked out. She then blasts him. Uh, we cut to Storm and Naze in the mountains. Storm's complaining about the vision quest. <laughs> so it's too long. She doesn't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Suddenly, a uh, uh, hoochie-ish dressed girl shows up. And they try to help her, but then it turns out she's a bad guy. And her brother's there, too, and they're both bad. And so they both attack Storm and Naze. Uh, at some point in the attack, Storm throws the girl, and the girl lands on some fire, just a small amount of fire, and she freaks out. Turns out that was her weakness. And then it reveals, for whatever reason, the small amount of fire makes her reveal her true form, which is a half-hawk, half-snake, that looks like um, Serpentor from G.I. Joe, but with the hawk head. You mean Globulus? Huh? Globulus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. I would say it's more of an owl head. But... Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Either way. Either or. They a bird of prey. Either way, they call themselves the eye killers, which doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. And not eye killers like iPod. E-Y-E <laughs> The so Apple, the Apple Assassin Squad. They're not digitally killing you, right? They're, I guess, killing your eyeballs, but I don't understand what that's about. So I don't know. And that was really weird. So anyway, uh, Storm almost loses her life force, but then Naze sets everything on fire, which is kind of funny. Um, and then all the serpents burn to death. The serpent hawks burn to death, or serpent owls, whatever you want to go with. Yeah, whatever. We cut back to the beach. Psylocke uh, back realizes to the beach that with Frankie it's, Avalon. That's right. Psylocke realizes that it's malice in Polaris's body. Uh, then the Marauders show up in a Magnum PI car. <laughs> then we go back to the bridge uh, where we have a Wolverine versus Sabretooth fight, and Wolverine's metal skull breaks Sabretooth's hand. So Sabretooth punches him in the face, and it breaks his hand. Uh, Wolverine says, well, so I, I guess Scrambler tries to take Wolverine's power away or scramble his powers. But he does, Wolverine yeah. Basically says that doesn't matter because the only thing is his power is like his senses, although I guess his healing factor too. Um, and so he can fight without that because he's still got the adamantum. So he's still tough, even though he's been scrambled, maybe too tough. I don't know, but still. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, and so Wolverine says it doesn't affect his claws. And so we have a clear, the claws are not mutant power. They are part of the, the adamantium. Oh, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if, so if, you know, the, the retcon idea of the bone claws, that if it was if the scrambling the mutant powers, he wouldn't be able to shoot those out. I wouldn't think. Right. Okay. So, so a scrambler, for instance, and maybe this is part. Maybe this is part of the reason Claremont had him get sidelined. If scrambler <laughs> hits Nightcrawler, does he just turn into a regular looking dude? Like, do the physical attributes of the powers go away too, or just like the power powers? It's a good question. I would guess. I would guess just the power powers because it seems like right. that'd be too much trans 
transmorphosis. Well, same thing with the leech, with the X Factor stuff. I need to look at that because then the claws are part of his. They're they're a mutation, but they're not like his powers. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you depending on how you defend. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That's so, like, if question. he wasn't, if he didn't have adamantium, and we know what we know now, which we don't back then, but and he had like the bone claws, would Scramble make his bone claws go away? Maybe not go. Well, I wouldn't think go away, but maybe not work. <laughs> you couldn't pop them. Yeah, like it would. Uh, there's a pill for that. <laughs> yeah. Get blue wrists. Then you, you need to make your you check with your doctor. Make sure you're. You have a healthy enough heart to pop your claws. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. I, uh, so yeah, it, the way Wolverine asserts it is that it doesn't affect it. But I guess you're right. That doesn't necessarily rule out a bone claw mutation. It just depends on how Scrambler's power actually works. That, you know, this conversation makes me kind of hate Scrambler. Yeah, I kind of liked him when I was reading the issue, but I don't like him anymore. Yeah, and it, you know what does it what does it mean to s- scramble your powers? Because to me, that sounds more like not not like leech, where it takes your powers away, right? But more like it just makes your powers malfunction. Yeah, because it scrambled up. So, so like, like Angel would still have his wings, but maybe when he flew, we got dizzy or something like that. Yeah, or like if you know uh, Bobby Drake, you know. Fire it turns into fire instead of ice, or, or I don't know. That that's that's a, maybe not, but right. I don't know, but yeah, some kind of like you're trying to use the power and it's something else, or or even your own powers, you know. Right. I don't know. It's too problematic. Yeah. Anyway, Reason so I, I wrote that because that's how I interpret that. But I think, yeah, depending on how you think about it, I guess it doesn't necessarily. So you can still retcon it. So. Whew. We're still okay with the retcon. <laughs> and we haven't directly you. contradicted the retcon. That was a close one. <laughs> uh, okay, so Scalp Hunter shoots his gun at Wolverine and makes Wolverine run off the bridge, which didn't fully make sense, but okay. Well, no, let's not skip what he does to Sabretooth, though. I think we kind of got mired in that, that scramble conversation. So uh, what does he do when he pops his claws, though? Oh, yeah. Like he straight uh, up snicks Sabretooth through the heart. Yeah, he stabs him right in the chest. Pretty badass. Pretty awesome. And suggests that Sabretooth has got a healing factor. We've already asserted that. Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. by this it's point. In the hospital stuff and all that. Never mind. Uh, but yeah. And is, it, is this one also where Wolverine talks about his healing factor being really fast? Um, in one of these issues, I, I didn't write it down, so I don't remember which one it was. But in one of these issues, he says, my super fast healing factor. I don't know if it's in these or not. I'm not sure. It's in one of these four because uh, I read it. Okay. I don't remember which one it was. But anyway, Wolverine makes a, I mean, Sabretooth makes a pretty cool face and then falls down. Anyway, Scalp Hunter starts shooting at Wolverine. Wolverine jumps off the bridge. Uh, Scalp Hunter keeps shooting into the water. Oh, back up though. Sabretooth doesn't fall down. Wolverine like- being almost as nasty as his counterpart throws Sabretooth at Scrambler and says, I can't kill him, but maybe your power can put him out of his misery. Like, that's hardcore. Like, Wolverine stabs, stabs him through the heart and then throws him at Scrambler to see if he can nix his healing factor so Sabretooth will die. 
yeah, interesting. I didn't even, uh, I guess I blew past that when I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. So he doesn't want to actually kill Sabretooth, but he's hoping that the this... Well, he knows he can't him. kill Sabretooth. Yeah. Because yeah. of the healing factor. So he's like, well, if I throw him at this guy, he won't heal. Maybe. That's true. If, yes, if, if it's just by being by Scrambler, or Scrambler catches him. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so, yeah, Scott Hunter shoots, Wolverine jumps off the bridge, Rogue swings by and picks Wolverine up. Uh, Marauders end up getting away. Longshot, who had just fallen in the fallen off the bridge at some point in the battle, really early in the battle, uh-huh. literally doing nothing and contributing nothing to the battle, <laughs> falls off the bridge. Um, and luckily, as they <laughs> very cheekily comment in here, uh, he lands right next to Madeline and saves her. And so they save each other in the bay. Um, and then Malice, the very last scene, uh, Havoc had jumped onto Malice's legs. And so they're flying through the air and she's Classics. holding him. And she ends up basically kicking him off. With a boot. But saving him. Yeah, boot. Saving him so that he can live with the knowledge that she's taken over Polaris. He tries to shoot her down out of the sky, but he fails. And then he cries. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, man. This is a really good issue. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of really good stuff in this issue. Yeah. So we do have some full effect Sylvester and then all the girls are looking are starting to look more and more like supermodels. Yeah. Um, the you know. beach scene, particularly. Yeah. You were talking about the the kind of our our reluctance on the Dazzler using her powers. <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, "Okay, I'm a big boy. I can admit that the way they did Dazzler's powers in this panel was kind of cool." Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Now, I actually kind of like the uh, owl snake guy. Yeah, I thought he, I thought it was a good. I thought Sylvester did a really good job with that design, um, and with the execution of it, it looked pretty pretty menacing and pretty cool. Yeah, it's got tiger hands. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. It was like a serpent owl slash tiger. Yeah, he's kind of cool. They're kind of cool looking. It just felt very. My only part with my only issue with that is it was kind of weird. Oh, it makes no damn sense at all. Because it, it, but it looks it, great. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> what's going on, and it just kind of like I don't know. It seems really. I don't know. We, we, now we're getting into like tropey Native American stuff, right? Where it's like, oh, now they're on a spirit quest. The only thing they didn't do was smoke peyote. Yeah, and I think that's what the old man was doing in the last oh. issue. <laughs> Maybe so. But yeah, so I, so that was kind of weird. It's like suddenly these two random people show up, and they're they're this weird totem animal. So I don't know. But yeah, I mean it was bad. It just was it was just kind of odd, and and really felt random in the midst of this other story. I almost kind of wish they had waited and told that story later. Uh, that that there's a lot of that with this story because it drags on for a while. I feel yeah. like they could have condensed it and whatever. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it, it would have been it would have been better if they'd done it more like the the storm in Africa story, where they just kind of had her pop in doing a little bit and then had a full and, issue. Yeah, and it didn't really last that long, but you know, you had the whole issue before where she's wandering through the building, 
and they take out you know five pages i think here or more on this issue but yeah i don't know but the, the snake animal looked cool just was kind of like this is random although the panel where storm was holding that knife up with the glint on it it's great panel yeah it's a great panel and Naze like looks he just he looks old and mean like I, yeah the art art to that whole section is really good really to this whole issue is really good yeah. a couple of coloring gaffes like you talked about Polaris's hair and then later she has an orange face in one panel <laughs> for no reason um, yeah so tan tanning yeah. salon right yeah she's, a, she's at she the went got a, she went and got a tan in the middle of this fight <laughs> she went to dark with a Q that's uh, right <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, but I do like the part, so there's that part where Stephen Longshot drops his head in Scalp Hunter's <laughs> sights. Yeah. And then Wolverine, like, taps him on the shoulders, like, hey, want to try your hand at me, bub? Like, just classic Wolverine, like, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Longshot just falls off the bridge. Yeah, right. I did, I did, as much as I don't like Longshot very much, I did chuckle at that. Where his head pops into the right, yeah, I did th- too. It was pretty. I thought that was pretty funny. But then he falls off the bridge, and I was like, "Oh, what is the point of this?" <laughs> yeah, we've already talked a lot about the the Wolverine Sabretooth fight, which was pretty great. It uh, was good. That panel of Sabretooth, like where he's first of all where he's doing the crouch on his toes, and then him jumping, looks yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, very cool. I don't know if I like him breaking his hand. I don't either because I think because it doesn't happen in the future. <laughs> it never happens again. The idea of Sabretooth being stronger than that, I think. Right. I mean, healing factor wouldn't prevent prevent it. I don't know. It just seemed right. weird. Plus, they kind of backtrack because we've already kind of had, even though I haven't seen it yet, we've already had the hinted at history with them. So the right. assumption would be they've they've had at least a few scraps before this. Yeah. You know, not counting the ones we've actually seen. Like a few more at least in addition to that. So you would think that I mean this can't be the first time he's punched Wolverine in the face. Right. So I don't know. But other than that, I thought the fight was really great. I agree. Um, and he reminds Sabretooth about his adamantium. Well, even with no powers, he still pimp slaps Scrambler away from him before the fight. It's just, it's great. Yeah, that's good stuff. But my, my least favorite part of the issue, though, is it's not long shot. It's not luck. Wolverine jumps off the bridge and Rogue catches him out of the air. <laughs> and Wolverine says, oh, no big deal. I knew you would catch me. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I hated that. Yeah, it was um, so I really, really, really like this last part between Havoc and Polaris. Yeah, I did too. Where did she's, she's just with screwing that. with them, and she's like, "Well, here's your chance. You can stop me, but you got to hurt the woman you love." And so he does, or he shoots like his power at her, yeah, and she just deflects it and says, "Well, you failed, but you just tried to kill your girlfriend and live with that," and flies off. And like yeah. I was like, whoa! Like, that was, it felt it felt really heavy to me, and really yeah, it was like, heavy. I mean, he does, he does the hero move, right? And has to kill her, or at least stop her, right, for the better good, even though it's going to hurt him. Yeah, 
and then it doesn't work. And then so he has to live with the fact that not only did he not stop her, but he but did. He, he made to the tough choice, and he can't go back on that. Right. So that's gonna mess with his mind. I look forward to seeing the psychological fallout to that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Okay. Well, we've had a lot of good things to say about this issue, and and so far this episode, we've gradually kind of graded up progressively with each issue. We'll see if that trend continues. What are you going to give Uncanny X-Men 222? Um, I kind of wanted to give it a six. But I think I'm going to stick with five. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with... Oh, what are you going to say? Yeah, no one cares about my explanation. <laughs> well, of <laughs> course we do. That's why you're here. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah, I guess I guess just I don't know, long shot, cheesy, dazzler, and and the the thing, the I don't know. I I can't decide if I like the spirit quest thing or not. I kind of like it, and I kind of don't. It's, it's not of, something I normally like. Yeah, but, but it's, it's it, playing out a little better than I remember. Yeah. Well, I didn't mind it. And so, like, yeah, normally this is the kind of stuff I would roll my eyes at and be like, this is dumb. But here, it, it worked. And so I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But, I don't know. It just kind of kept it from being a, a full six for me. But Right. I, I do want to clarify for any, any listeners that might may or may not take issue it's not that I think that Native American mysticism or religion is dumb. It's just in this time period in superhero comics, those types of things are usually not handled or written very well. Yeah. And so my, my expectation of this is very low. Yeah. That, that's a good, that's a good distinction to make. Cause it's not the fact that they're doing a Native American mystical thing. It's that by this time, that's that is so often so tropey, right? And stereotypical. And yeah, and sometimes even a little racist, <laughs> right? No, so Claire Moss done a, a think a decent job of not yeah. being. Uh, yeah, it's not. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not Native American, but right. I don't. I don't think this is offensive. As two middle or not as middle, we're not middle Asia. As two, they're almost pushing forty category. white guys. Um, <laughs> we don't find this offensive, but. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's done well, but right. it is still, you know, I don't know. The whole mystical thing is still, uh, but I've said before and I'll say it again. I don't really like when they mix religion into the, to comics as far as like religious stuff that is real. Right. Like to have people believe it or practice it. Like it's yeah. part of their character. Like with Nightcrawler or if someone's a Buddhist or whatever, like that's cool. But then, Actually, I mean, to me, <laughs> and maybe because these things are more not at the forefront in our culture, it's easier. But, like, you have Nightcrawler, who's a Christian. You don't have Jesus actually showing up in the comics. Yeah. Although there is a Mephisto. <laughs> that's true. There is a devil. But so. I don't like him. And that's, yeah. that is exactly <laughs> the point, you know. I mean, that's even part of the reason why I don't like Thor very much. Although I think, I mean, that's established that they're aliens, right? Or that's the whole thing, right? They're not actually gods. They're from another planet. Not in the comics, no. That's that's all that's what, that's TV movies, and movie right? stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's what, that's what I was going to say. 
I mean, that's what I was trying to remember. Um, yeah, so I, that's the kind of thing. So I don't really like when they take religious stuff. I don't know. This sounds like I'm being anti-religion, and have it be re- have it be real and coincide with superhero stuff, as if it's the same thing. Maybe that's it. It's the con- the conflation of the idea that here's a religion thing, and then this, but this is real. And so, yeah, is Jesus just a superhero? Is that it? Does he have superhero? I mean, that's you know the argument. There's always been a part of me that that wanted to have fan fiction where Jesus was a Jedi. <laughs> Right. Anyway. Well, Anakin was Jesus, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much, right? With no, uh, no father, and that the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you have a force impregnated Shmi or whatever. <laughs> anyway, we got way off track, but um... oh, <laughs> the many, the many negative, the many things that went wrong with Phantom Menace, but yeah, Immaculate Conception is just one of them. Yeah, just one of one of many issues with that. Although I don't think it's all bad, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's not that's. Neither here nor there. But anyway, no. yeah, so I'm going to end up, you kind of were unsure. I'm going to go ahead and give Uncanny 222 uh, six out of six claws. It's not perfect, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I agree. Good. Definitely good. And definitely compared to the three before. Yeah. Or yeah. certainly the first two. Three, the uh, 221 is good, too. So. Yeah. No, I feel, feel pretty good about it. So anyway, that is our, our X-Men run, and we kind of, um, not that we're going to take a break necessarily from the Marauders, but that kind of is the end of this, this little chapter of them. Uh, there'll be a recurring kind of pop in and out. This kind of wraps up this episode of the Marauders, so it's a good place to kind of stop anyway, besides just being kind of the, the end of, of Wolverine's year. So you have one other thing I want to talk about real fast, and we'll do that in just a second. Okay. Okay, so in addition to our our cool Marauder story over in Uncanny, we also have a very, very brief Wolverine guest appearance, kind of, in Alpha Flight number 51. Alpha Flight. And that is Friends in High Places, so the opposite of the Garth Brooks song. <laughs> I got friends in high places. That's the Willie Nelson version. <laughs> Willie Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is written by uh, podcast favorite <laughs> Bill Mantlo. <laughs> and pencils the Marvel debut of Jim Lee. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Of course, he will be a huge deal for Wolverine fans. Um, and... I think, I think safe to say I can speak for both of us. Definitely the top of our, our favorite list, especially growing up. The inker is Wouse Protatio. Janice Chang is the letterer. Bob Sharon is the colorist. Um, the cover is by, and this one I'm not sure how to say, because he's Canadian, I think. And the website, like the Marvel database, lists him as a he, but his name is Hilary Barda. Is there like a masculine way in French or whatever to say Hillary? I, I don't just, know. I don't know. Anyway, his cover is fine. It's um, Alpha Flight attacking some army dudes with a yellow sky. And Sasquatch yeah. looks kind of cool. Um, yeah, so basically this issue is um, we get an Alpha Flight history lesson and learn about the new team. Um, the government liaison has to decide 
if he can trust the new team and if Heather can lead it. And so to find out, he, air quote, borrows some computer files for research. Really the only kind of highlight is when they're given some of the history recaps and stuff. Jim Lee has a panel that has some old Alpha Flight members, and on there we have a tiny Wolverine. And this is officially the first time that Jim Lee, comics legend, who is very well known for his take on Wolverine, and this is the first time he ever drew him. There's really not much to talk about with it. It's a tiny little, not very detailed panel. (laughs) Yellow suit, the old yellow suit. Yeah, the old yellow and blue. But, you know... We'll we'll talk about Jim Lee a lot as as we get to it on the flashback episode. So, didn't want yeah. to point out that that historically this this is the debut. Well, and even for a little tiny one, I, it looks really cool to me. Yeah. I really like I like the pose. The proportions are good. The, you know the face is in detail because it's so small. But right for a tiny little Wolverine, I like it. Yeah. And so overall, in this issue, the art is is fine. It barely looks like Jim Lee. I mean, obviously, it's his, it's his first go. So yeah. He's going to evolve. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like even with early Silvestri, he definitely evolves. You can kind of tell, or there's some tells anyway, that, that it's Silvestri. But there's really, there's really, like, if I didn't know, and I feel like I'm pretty good that, like, especially the artists we grew up on, like, I can pick them out. Yeah. Like, if I see McFarlane stuff, I know it's McFarlane. And Jim Lee's one of those guys that usually, regardless of whether it's credited or not or whatever, I can usually pick out Jim Lee art. I don't know if you gave me this issue with no credits, if I would say, oh, yeah, that's Jim Lee. I don't know if I could do it. Um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. As far as the story, there's way too much recap, but the kind of espionage subplot is okay. So uh, overall, I would give Alpha Flight 51 three out of six claws. Just kind yeah. of middle of the road. Doesn't really matter that I read it, but I didn't dislike it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, that's Alpha Flight. That's, it's really, you know, it's funny because when we were growing up, this issue was expensive. Yeah. Because I mean, that was the Jim Lee heyday, and his first issue for Marvel was hard to come by. I think pretty sure now you could probably get it for a buck on eBay. <laughs> but, um, Anyway, I just thought it was interesting to kind of point out. So, have we done? Has Portacio done X Men yet? By this point, he has done some inks on X Factor. We have not seen. I haven't at this point read anything where he's done pencils yet. Okay, I didn't think so. He's about to start his run on Punisher. Okay. As penciler, like this is right before that. But no, the real powerhouse of Jim Lee and Wells Portacio. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on it, it's kind of a big deal. When this came out, probably not so much, but um, yeah, 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 he yeah, inked for a while first, yes, he did. Um, and he inked some of the Walt Simonson stuff, like I said, over an X Factor, yeah. Um, but we're pretty close to him doing pencils, you know, he'll start on, on the regular Punisher book in the early teens, I think, and um, maybe even a little before that, maybe like eight or nine, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, yeah, so he has not. Not really made a name for himself yet at this point. But he will soon. He will soon. So look out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you you ready to wrap up? Yep. Let's do it. All right. All right. So that is going to do it. Going to wrap up Wolverine year 13. 
in the books. Um, so as far as what's next, um, well, Wolverine year 14. <laughs> um, and we are, we're getting really, really close to the point to where we'll kind of have to decide how to format the flashbacks. Because, yeah. you know, we had all all these detours this time just because the X-Men are so popular. And we're not that far away from Wolverine himself making single guest appearances all over the place, and uh, we'll kind of deal with that when we get there, but it's getting close. But Cameron, man, thanks again for coming on. Um, you have anything you want to want to plug personally? Nah. Nah, okay. I got nothing. Nothing? All right. Well, what's your Twitter? Uh, at Cameron Sinclair. There you go. Go follow him. There you go. All right. Well, <laughs> for the podcast, as usual, please like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Email us, SnickCast at Yahoo.com. And show notes and stuff are SnickCast.Podbean.com. That's going to do it for this episode. And um, we'll see you when you see ya. So until Thanks. next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye. And snapped. <laughs>